Today on Ag News Daily. Our team across all of our brands and, and all of our different regions, even outside of North America, is really focused on how to stay in touch with the customer. They've spent a substantial amount of time this spring and summer building content. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr on another Ag News Daily podcast with Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's it going up there in Iowa? It is, again, a little rainy or maybe not rainy, but cloudy, etc. Definitely looks like it is fall outside and I'm not seeing a whole lot of folks getting in the combines today, but we, of course, as I mentioned yesterday on the podcast, had our crop progress report. And Ashton, if you don't mind, I'd like to go through those numbers really quickly here off the top of the podcast. Absolutely. I have them pulled up as well. So I'm ready to discuss these with you. Yeah. So I think mm, not any big surprise. We saw, of course, both crop progress or harvest progress, I should say, as well as corn and soybean ratings. For the rating side of things, we saw this year's corn crop rated 61% good to excellence with 25% of the crop looking fair and another 14% rated poor to very poor. As far as the soybean side of things go, 74% of the crop is now dropping leaves, which is up pretty significantly from the week prior. And we're also seeing, you know, a more swift pace of things here with leaves dropping. Typically for the five-year average, we're at 69% leaves dropped by now, which of course is a good indication that we are in harvest season. And as far as harvest went, we saw corn harvest at 15%, up from 7% from the week prior. The average trade was assuming would be around 17%, so pretty much in line with where the trade was anticipating, and just slightly below the five-year average. Usually, we're about 16% done with harvest at this point in time. On the sweeping side of things, we saw harvest progress at 20%, jumping about 6% from the week prior, and well ahead of our five-year average. Usually, we're at about 15% harvested for this time of year, and a little ahead of where analysts were expecting to see us. So definitely harvest continues. Um, I'm not hearing a lot so far about yield though. And that's still, I think, kind of the question that remains out there. You know, Delaney, I really haven't seen anything on social media as far as yield goes, but I definitely think that it's something that we're just going to have to continue to watch and see if farmers are, are really willing to come out and talk about it. I kind of have you know the idea in the back of my head that maybe folks aren't wanting to talk about it just yet since it's still early and they're not exactly sure, you know, what the whole crop is going to look like. But I have also been trying to keep up since really not really keep up because I just, you know, learned this information yesterday, but the sorghum harvest has been completed here in Texas and it's moved on to Kansas. I talked to one of my friends at National Sorghum Producers yesterday about that. And so I kind of want to have somebody within sorghum come on the podcast later this week so they can talk to us about how their harvest is going as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think farmers are always a little hesitant to share specific yield numbers, but I would just be curious to see on Twitter and Facebook and Ashton, maybe we can do a little quick Twitter poll this week about where yields are coming in at. Are they below expectations? Are they right in line with what you're thinking? And how did weather impact that this year? So I'm sure we're going to get a lot of varied responses, but folks, Ashton will post that Twitter poll for us on our Twitter handle at Agnews Daily. 
I certainly will. But before I get to posting on social media, I want to share this bit of news coming from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Earlier today, they released a new report examining cattle market issues and solutions. The report provides a detailed examination of the causes and price implications resulting from extreme market volatility in the cattle industry. It also provides some possible policy solutions. The Cattle Market Working Group, which is a team of 10 State Farm Bureau presidents, developed this report over a two-month period, and they did a bunch of research and talked to industry professionals about you know, the markets and came up with this report. And the report is set to be designed to equip state and county Farm Bureau organizations with deep insight and policy considerations as Farm Bureau leaders debate policy recommendations for 2021. Key topics of the report include mandatory minimum negotiated trade, risk management and education, small capacity meatpacking, and the Grain Inspection Packers and Stockyards Administration. And I took a quick look at the report. I didn't get too deep into it, but it is nine pages long and it includes visuals, of course, like photos and graphs. And the COVID-19 pandemic is obviously heavily mentioned in the report. And I will add this to our newsletter because I thought that it was a very detailed look into the cattle markets. And I think that a lot of our listeners will be interested in looking over this report and maybe telling us what they think about it. Yeah, I think you're right. And honestly, nine pages is pretty short compared to some other government reports and research we've seen come out. So that one's definitely doable to sit down and and read through. Absolutely. If you're sitting on the combine and maybe you're getting a little little bit bored, you can (laughs) read over that nine-page government document. Absolutely. I'm not sure that that would make you any more excited, (laughs) but you are absolutely welcome to do so. Well, I tell you what, I've got a couple of other uh, market-related pieces of news here. One is on the international market. We're, of course, still seeing China step in and buy U.S. soybeans at a record pace. But U.S. Soybean Export Council CEO Jim Sutter said on Monday that even with these record pace of soybean purchases we continue to see, this total won't beat previous record levels. And Chinese commitments under the phase one deal still won't be reached this year. He said as far as actual trade goes, he thinks it's unlikely that China will import half of the two-year commitment of the phase one deal in the first year and finds it very unlikely that uh, we'll see, you know, that 34 to $40 billion of U.S. ag goods purchased here in 2020. But he does think that China is going to continue purchasing and stepping in, just doesn't see us beating any sort of records that we've set. And I believe... They set an import record in 2016, if I do uh, remember correctly here. Yeah, Delaney, I saw a headline. I didn't click on the article, but I saw a headline earlier today. There was a there was a, an economist or an agronomist that that said that China would need a, a really big lift in order to meet the demands of the or not really the demands, but the requirements of the phase one trade deal. And so, you know, with all this talk about the phase one trade deal within the past couple of weeks, you know, I'm really not too surprised that folks are coming out and talking about it. 
in, in such a way. But, but one thing that I am surprised on is the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, Esther George, coming out and saying the economy is recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic faster than expected. I thought this was really interesting because you and I have talked about how things aren't expected or folks haven't expected things to really kick back into gear until like 2022, I think is the earliest that I've heard. But Esther George says there are two main reasons for the recovery. And she was quoted as saying, we are learning more and can manage the virus. We are seeing businesses being able to open. So that is positive for our economy. The second thing though, is the amount of fiscal stimulus that has come into the economy. And George said the Federal Reserve keeping interest rates low since March has also provided stability to the market and unemployment caused by the pandemic has also dropped. And there's another quote from George here saying of the 22 million people that lost their jobs early on, almost half of those have gone back to work. But George says the economic recovery will still be mostly dictated by the amount of coronavirus spread, which really, you know, doesn't come as a surprise. But as states start to open back up, hopefully we are doing our best to mitigate the spread and, you know, adhering to social distancing guidelines. But it was definitely encouraging. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that Esther George is correct and uh, our economy will try to recover as much as we can within the next few months or so. Yeah, I, I really think we will. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say it again. I'm not going to go into my soapbox, but again, <laughs> elections are coming up. I think that will uh, move things right along. I'll just leave it at that. But Ashton, I tell you what, moving things right along here, I have one other quick piece of news I wanted to just chat about quickly here before we talk markets. And this is a very fitting piece of news to lead into the markets because we are going to see a new contract implemented on the CME or Chicago Mercantile Exchange. They are looking, the CMA group is looking to launch a futures market for pork cutout values and options starting November 9th based on U.S. wholesale pork prices, of course, pending regulatory review. But uh, they said it's a complementary contract to existing lean hog contracts, and it will provide clients with the ability to manage risk and discover price from the hog all the way to the meat case. So I think this is a little different from the pork bellies contract that we had quite some time ago, but um, looking again at the physical markets and the physical trade and what people are actually paying for the wholesale cuts of pork. So it'll be interesting to see how that new market develops. It certainly will, Delaney. And I feel like I've heard a little bit about new markets developing recently, or not really recently, but within the past couple of months. And so we might just have to check in and see how some of those are doing as well as this one. Absolutely. And we also need to check in and see how markets did today, Ashton. What do you say? Let's do it. Well, again, we had a little bit of a pullback here. Starting off with the December corn contract pulling back two cents on the day to close at 364 and three quarters. The March down a penny and a half to end the day at 374 flat. In the soybean pits, they continue to pull back now under $10 in both the new crop and deferred crop contract. The November contract down three and a quarter cent to close at 993. The January down three and a quarter as well to end at 997. Wheat also wasn't spared from this pullback today as the December contract contract lost a quarter 
excuse me, lost three quarters of a cent to close at 549 and a half. The March down half a cent to close at 556 and a half. In the livestock pits, green across the cattle complex as we look at the October live cattle contract adding 95 cents today to close at 108.90. The December up $1.47 and a half to close at 113.12 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the October contract adding two dollars to close at one forty two ninety two and a half. The November adding two sixty seven to close at one forty three seventy seven and a half. In the lean hog pits, the October contract shedding thirty two and a half cents to close at seventy two thirty seven. The December down two oh five to close at sixty one ninety seven and a half. And wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, October adding forty one cents to close at nineteen twenty six. November adding eighteen to close at eighteen fifty seven. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our hashtag Tech Tuesday interview today with Agco. For today's hashtag Tech Tuesday segment, we have Lauren Damal, who is the manager of event marketing in North America, and Aaron Ballinger, the farm show manager. They are both with Agco. Guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for thank having you. us. So Lauren, I guess my, my first question to you is to tell us just a little bit more about Agco. What, at a 10,000 foot glance, what, what is Agco? Within that showroom, you will find that the customers can interact with um, our virtual staff. There is a, a feature where they can request pricing. They can request um, a, a detailed quote. They can find a dealer on our dealer locator. They can also reach out to a staff member who will follow up and connect them with the proper dealer in their market. If they're not certain who that is, they can ask questions in a live chat feature uh, that goes across the various brands. We, we've learned some of our audience obviously buy from multiple of our brands and and having that chat feature follow them from room to room is was one of the neat features of our, our site. What, if you start a conversation in Fent, then you move into the Massey room to add an implement or a mower or something. It uh, allows you to continue talking with that with that chat representative while you're continuing to browse. Lauren, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because I actually wanted to ask you about how providing solutions for your customers has really changed with COVID-19 and some of the things that Agco is doing, you know, maybe besides the virtual showroom and being able to interact with your virtual staff on how providing those solutions has changed through the pandemic. Definitely. Our team across all of our brands and, and all of our different regions, even outside of North America, is really focused on how to stay in touch with the customer They've spent a substantial amount of time this spring and summer building content, uh, whether that's online training, uh, answering questions, video walkarounds. We've done a number of product launches virtually to our dealers and customers uh, throughout the summer where it went when we couldn't get it together in person. We still were able to launch that product to our, to our audience. We've had a number of media days. You saw some of the virtual farm progress uh, demos that we sent out along with some of the other manufacturers through the audience that we participated in for Farm Progress and Husker. Uh, we've basically spent this entire summer focusing on creating digital and online content. Yeah, and it's really neat to see companies, you know, getting out there doing things differently. But I'm curious, as a kind of a wrap-up question here for both of you, what do you see as the future for Agco? Will you continue to include these virtual type of events or um, the showroom especially for folks? Will that continue post-COVID? 
Well, we'll for surely continue that showroom. That definitely fills that need where you have a regional or, or a, a national show that isn't able to come to fruition. Uh, that asset's created. It's easy to adapt and add things to it. As a matter of fact, we're going to actually add a, uh, a presentation room and possibly one or two other rooms. Uh, perhaps even uh, some of our other brands like GSI or Precision might create their own environment within that. So we do have uh, basically opportunity to grow that if we need to. We can still utilize it over the course of the next two years. And I think everybody hopes that shows come back. Will they come back in their entirety and, and fullness that they were? I, I don't think we'll see that for a couple of years, but you know, at least we're ready to, to pivot to whichever direction uh, the show seems to go to. Well, again, Lauren and Aaron, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. But before we let you go, one of you, whichever one decides to, to answer this question, just provide our listeners the, the names of your social media accounts so they can go ahead and follow you guys and maybe where they can find that Agco showroom online. Sure. You can find the uh, virtual showroom at agcovirtualshowroom.com. And from there, you can visit with any of our brands uh, across our entire our entire portfolio of the Agco family, you can also find us at Agco Corp C O R P on the majority of social media networks for our corporate uh, corporate social media. You can also find each of our individual brands, you know, Fent, Massey, uh, Challenger, Heston, etc. All those brands have their individual social media feeds as well. Alrighty, folks, you heard it here. That was Lauren and Aaron of AgCo. Thank you guys again for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Within that showroom, you will find that the customers can interact with um, our virtual staff. There is a, a feature where they can request pricing. They can request um, a, a detailed quote. They can find a dealer on our dealer locator. They can also reach out to a staff member who will follow up and connect them with the proper dealer in their market if they're not certain who that is. They can ask questions in a live chat feature uh, that goes across the various brands. We, we've learned some of our audience obviously buy from multiple of our brands and, and having that chat feature follow them from room to room is, was one of the neat features of our, our site. If you start a conversation in Fent, then you move into the Massey room to add an implement or a mower or something. It uh, allows you to continue talking with that with that chat representative while you're continuing to browse. Lauren, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because I actually wanted to ask you about how providing solutions for your customers has really changed with COVID-19 and some of the things that Agco is doing, you know, maybe besides the virtual showroom and being able to interact with your virtual staff on how providing those solutions has changed through the pandemic. Definitely. Our team across all of our brands and, and all of our different regions, even outside of North America, is really focused on how to stay in touch with the customer They've spent a substantial amount of time this spring and summer building content, uh, whether that's online training, uh, answering questions, video walkarounds. We've done a number of product launches virtually to our dealers and customers uh, throughout the summer where it went when we couldn't get it together in person, we still were able to launch that product to our, to our audience. We've had a number of media days. You saw some of the virtual farm progress uh, demos that we sent out along with some of the other manufacturers through the audience that we participated in for Farm Progress and Husker. Uh, we've basically spent this entire summer focusing on creating digital and online content. 
Yeah. And it's really neat to see companies, you know, getting out there doing things differently. But I'm curious as a kind of a wrap up question here for both of you, what do you see as the future for Agco? Will you continue to include these virtual type of events or um, the showroom, especially for folks? Will that continue post COVID? Well, we'll for surely continue that showroom. That definitely fills that need where you have a regional or, or a, a national show that isn't able to come to fruition. Uh, that asset's created. It's easy to adapt and add things to it. As a matter of fact, we're going to actually add a, uh, a presentation room and possibly one or two other rooms. Uh, perhaps even uh, some of our other brands like GSI or Precision might create their own environment within that. So we do have... Uh, basically opportunity to grow that if we need to. We can still utilize it over the course of the next two years. And I think everybody hopes that shows come back. Will they come back in their entirety and, and fullness that they were? I, I don't think we'll see that for a couple of years, but you know, at least we're ready to, to pivot to whichever direction uh, the show seems to go to. Well, again, Lauren and Aaron, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. But before we let you go, one of you, whichever one decides to, to answer this question, just provide our listeners the the names of your social media accounts so they can go ahead and follow you guys and maybe where they can find that Agco showroom online. Sure, you can find the uh, virtual showroom at agcovirtualshowroom.com. And from there, you can visit with any of our brands uh, across our entire, our entire portfolio of the Agco family. You can also find us at Agco Corp, C-O-R-P, on the majority of social media networks for our corporate uh, corporate social media. You can also find each of our individual brands, you know, Fent, Massey, uh, Challenger, Heston, et cetera. All those brands have their individual social media feeds as well. Alrighty, folks, you heard it here. That was Lauren and Aaron of Agco. Thank you guys again for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. again a big thank you there to Lauren and Aaron for chatting virtual showrooms. Ashton, I tell you what, I think virtual showrooms and things like these aren't going away anytime soon, even if COVID does. I don't suspect that they will either. And Agco's is a great example for any company that is trying to get more into the virtual showroom or just trying to take their company more online than it already is. So I highly suggest checking it out. And while you're at it, you can check out Ag News Daily at agnewsdaily.com as well as follow us on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.